HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Enjoy food the way nature intended. Alaska Seafood, wild, natural, and sustainable. For more information, visit wildalaskaseafood.com. I'm HRN's Executive Director, Katie Mosman-Wadler, jumping in to tell you about this week's episode of Meat and Three, Heritage Radio Network's weekly food roundup. This week, we're introducing you to some amazing women taking a stand. So often, being sexually harassed feels like a loss of control, and so I wanted to have these very tangible guides to say, here's what you can do. Others are pushing for more diversity at major food industry events. I still feel really determined to do you know, whatever I can to help shift that, and in a direction that's not just more diverse, but more equitable. We also have a report on that summer business staple, the lemonade stand. The lemonade stand might be the purest form of starting a business. Low overhead, easy to get into, and requires little experience or special equipment. Don't miss Meat and Three, your weekly 15-minute food news roundup from HRN. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. Search M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E. And thanks, as always, for listening. to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, May 30th, 2018. This is the 178th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is a leader in culinary, beverage, and hospitality, and I will introduce him fully in a moment. First, as I do in every show, I will start out with my PR tip. And then later, we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to be open-minded. Be willing to try new things and think differently. Don't walk into situations completely set in your ways and opposed to understanding or experiencing another perspective. You never know what you may learn from someone else and in turn about yourself. So be free thinking. It may just surprise you. That is my tip today. 
Now, I'm very honored and excited to have my guest here with me in the studio. It is Sabato Sagaria. He is the president of Bartaco, an upscale street food concept with a coastal vibe and multiple locations, part of Barteca Restaurant Group. Sabado has over two decades of culinary, beverage, and leadership roles at esteemed restaurants and hotels around the country, most recently having served as Union Square Hospitality Group's first-ever chief restaurant officer. He is a graduate of Cornell University's School of Hotel Administration, and he became a member of the Court of Master Sommeliers, an honor held by fewer than 250 individuals worldwide. Welcome, Sabato. Thank you, Sherry. It's an honor to be here. It's an honor to have you. I mean, that's it's an impressive uh, little bio I just read there. It's been a fun run. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's hear about the run. So did you always know you wanted to work in the hospitality industry? Um, that's the only industry I've ever worked in, actually. Um, okay. When I was in high school, um, my parents lived in uh, Indonesia, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a town called Bandung, and I was a sophomore in high school, and in Bandung, the school only went up to eighth grade. So I uh, lived in Jakarta with another family, and I'd go back and I'd visit them uh, every other week or so. And one time I was visiting them, and they had a friend who ran the local five-star hotel, and he invited me to spend the day with him. So there I was, thousands of miles from Columbus, Ohio, where I grew up, and I was a stranger in a strange land, and got to spend the day walking through this beautiful hotel, the pool on the roof, um, a chocolate factory, a pastry shop. And I remember at lunch uh, having, he had a meeting, so I had a cheeseburger and french fries and they had like real Heinz ketchup, not like the knockoff stuff that you'd see a lot of uh, throughout Southeast Asia. And I was transported in a very safe place and uh, it it was really, an eye-opening experience for me and one that I wanted to recreate in hotels uh, always felt like a safe haven wherever I was in the world, um, wherever I was exploring. And so I was drawn to work in the hotel and restaurant business. Oh, wow. I had Mm -hmm. no idea. Yeah. That's really cool. So Mm -hmm. I know you went to Cornell. Mm -hmm. Well, did you, did you then, were you back in Columbus and? Yes. So I was there for, I spent a year in Jakarta and then uh, went back to Columbus and applied to 11 schools, uh, and my and because I, I wanted to play golf in college, and my final two were uh, Cornell and University of Denver, um, and I ended up going to Cornell, which has a very short golf season, mm-hmm. <laughs> but a really great hospitality program. I would agree, yeah, and I did get to play golf as well while I was there, so I uh, got to check a lot of boxes. Oh, wow, mm-hmm. I'm learning so much. Mm-hmm. It's only been like two minutes into the show. Wow. <laughs> So, so what happened after you, you graduated? So after I graduated, um, I realized that I sort of did a little Goldilocks approach throughout my time at Cornell with each internship, working in, I think, a country club. I worked at the front desk of a hotel um, and cooked in the kitchen uh, for a bit. And I realized that I wanted to work in restaurants. Um, that, was the element, that was the aspect of the hospitality industry that excited me the most. And I wanted to work at resorts because when people came to a resort, they were there with the mindset that they were leaving the real world behind and they were going to treat themselves. And when people came into a restaurant with that mindset, uh, the amount of fun that they could have and I could have um, working there was so much more than 
where it was just a transaction. They were there to dine, not just eat. Um, and it was a, a lot of fun. So I went to uh, the Greenbrier Hotel in White Sulphur Springs, West Virginia. And that was a little bit of a, probably more of a culture shock moving from Ithaca, New York to rural West Virginia than it was from Columbus, Ohio to Jakarta. <laughs> um, you know, coming right out of college and uh, the diversity around around you on a college campus. Um, moving there was um, kind of uh, going from like 100 to 60, like not 60 to 100. Um, and while I was there, it was really uh, a great experience. I was able to cook in the kitchen um, and uh, did that for a couple months and had some great friends that helped uh, help me along along the way that I still keep in touch with. And, and uh, um, I also worked in the front of house and that's where I first uh, sort of was able to work in the wine world and was the wine director there for several years, which was a really amazing experience. And so I spent seven years in West Virginia, um, which I never in my life would have thought that I would uh, say that, but it was a really amazing time um, working at a 225 year old hotel and um, seeing all aspects of it and working in five or six restaurants under one roof. So it was really great to uh, learn so much under one roof and have some great mentorship along the way. Right. So then you stayed with hotels for a little while? Yeah, uh, I stayed with hotels. At that point, I had uh, passed my advanced exam um, with the Court of Master Sommeliers. <laughs> and I very <laughs> impressive. Thank you. Uh, and I wanted to, um, I was food and beverage director of a new project we had just done, but I said, you know what, I want to get back into wine. And West Virginia is too big of a town for me, so or city, state for me. <laughs> so I want to go across the way and I want to go to something even smaller, um, Washington, Virginia. So a tiny little uh, town, I think of about 115, maybe it's 116. I think there was uh, a woman who was pregnant when I left town. So okay. um, <laughs> uh, so she's uh, so um, that's where the Inner Little Washington was. And so I was the wine director at the Inner Little Washington um, uh, with Patrick O'Connell and uh, for two years. And that was a really, really special um, small little inn uh, with about 19 rooms and Grand Award wine list. And uh, that was um, the end of my tour through the two Virginias. Mm-hmm. Well, both of those places are on my list. I mean, I mean, the inn at Little Washington I've heard about mm-hmm. forever. Mm-hmm. And yes, I like, I'd like to go there yeah. sometime. I know it's a very special. Yeah. It's about an hour and a half outside of D.C., and uh, it's one of those places that is just so magical. And, um, again, it transports you. And to, there's not many places like that uh, on the planet. And to be able to be a part of um, something that was so historic and um, so hospitality-focused uh, was really impactful on, on my career. Right. So mm-hmm. then you were in Aspen? Am yeah, I getting that right? You okay. Were. So after that, um, I headed to Aspen, Colorado. Um, and went to work at the Little Nell Hotel, where I spent uh, six years there. And um, Aspen was actually the largest town that I had lived in after Columbus, Ohio, uh, after uh, college. So, and that's only 5,000 people or so in Aspen. So, um, yeah. Well, I don't know. I'm like <laughs> smiling because I'm just thinking about Aspen, yeah. how beautiful it is. It's, it's, you know. it's spectacular. And, you know, there's a saying that, you know, you talk to people that have been in Aspen for a while and say, oh, uh, how'd you end up here? It's like, oh, I came here for the winter and stayed for summer, and mm-hmm. that was 20 years ago. And right. You can see how that happens. And when I look at um, my career and the people that I met along the way working with or that traveled through there, um, it's been amazing, the friendships that have come from that. And that's, um, 
that's where you know Aspen Food and Wine Festival and being a part of that and making all those um, great friendships. When I moved to New York, it made it feel that much smaller. Um, but while I was there, getting to work with um, some some great uh, great peers and friends, um, Richard Betts, uh, Ryan Hardy was the executive chef at the time, um, gentleman Robert McCormick, who worked for Danielle, Carlton McCoy, Dustin Wilson. So a lot of people that... It's uh, <laughs> a good list. Yeah. Um, and a lot of folks that um, have helped me uh, become who I am and um, been able to accomplish a lot of great things in, in collaboration with them. Yeah. So, so I met you when you were with Union Square Hospitality Group. Mm-hmm. So this title, the first ever chief restaurant officer, did they create the position for you? And how did you, and there's no hotel here. Well, actually, actually there, there sort of is. But it's not, it's a restaurant. It's different. With, you know, yes, it is different. It's different, yeah. but, but I, uh, you know, catching myself, yeah. Mylino is a part yeah. of a hotel. Mm-hmm. So, um, so what led to, what, coming to New York, a, a sure. bigger, a bigger city, a, a little bit bigger <laughs> than uh, than Aspen or White Sulphur Springs or, or Washington, Virginia. Um, so I had been in Aspen for six years, and as I was saying, it was it's an amazing place. Um, but at some point, uh, it's kind of like Never Neverland. You don't have to necessarily grow up, but I wanted to to do more, and um, but wasn't sure what. And at that point, I had passed my MS exam, and was trying to ponder where I wanted to go next. And I was at the Pebble Beach Food and Wine Festival and um, ran into Danny um, there. And he had stayed with us for um, at the at the Nell for food and wine and had gotten to know him over the years. And he said, you know, we're creating this position and I think it'd be great for you. What do you think about moving to New York? And um, I was like, okay, um, <laughs> let's do It's a good this. offer yeah, from a good person. <laughs> exactly. So um, that was definitely something that moved to the top of my list pretty quickly. And um, over the next couple of months, I had a chance to meet with the team and understand where the company was and what they were looking to accomplish. And um, it was a really, really exciting opportunity. And, you know, I'd never lived in New York before and never really thought of living in New York. But um, like I said, the relationships I made in Aspen made New York feel... Um, so much smaller and more welcoming. And uh, that was, you know, uh, four or five years ago now. Right. So what what did your title, what, what was, what did that entail? Like what was, and what changes also sure. did you oversee during during the yeah. years you were with? So it was, um, as chief restaurant officer, um, it was something that we were, the, it was the first one. So really just um, learning as we went along with it. And uh, it was working with the teams to um, help uh, find synergies and um, uh, bring teams together, sort of the infrastructure for how we communicate, how we grow talent, share best practices, um, culture. And, uh, um, you know, when I started, we had about eight or nine restaurants. And then um, four years later, we were at 17. So um, I had five restaurant reviews from the New York Times. And uh, what else? Um, we, I guess my one-year anniversary when I was at Union Square Hospitality Group, that's when we launched Hospitality Included, um, when we started to eliminate tipping. So um, it was it was pretty great. And as I look back on it, my first time I ever came to New York was when, uh, let's see, I was a junior in college, and we came in, and it was a restaurant class, and we got to visit uh, Windows of the World. We went to Layla, uh, one of Drew's restaurants at I the time. I remember Layla, yeah. yeah. Uh, pomegranate margaritas, I still remember those. <laughs> Um, went to a restaurant called Zoe, and um, the night before I came in, and I went to 
um, Union Square Cafe. And so that was my very first meal ever in New York City. And so to work with um, the team at USHG and um, to close the first one and then reopen the second one um, was a real honor and um, something that kind of gives me goosebumps because I know the impact that that had on my career when I first dined there and um, when I read Setting the Table. Actually, when I was I was thinking about this today, um, my the first time I read Setting the Table was in Aspen and I was getting ready to go to Italy for the hotel had closed for about a, a week, no, about a month. And uh, I picked up this book, read it on the way over. And uh, ironically, I had shaved my head the day before for the very first time and read Setting the Table. And so that trip to Italy was probably a pretty monumental one in my uh, in my world. Went to Florence, your old stomping ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's when I became uh, bald. Oh. Exactly. And that's when I uh, also... Um, really got to understand enlightened hospitality and um, uh, a look inside of what Union Square Hospitality Group was. So that really planted the seed. And so when the opportunity came um, several years later, um, it was one that I definitely couldn't pass up. Yeah, well, that, that, that's, that's awesome. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking, as mm-hmm. you said, the first time you read Setting mm-hmm. the Table, and I'm thinking, I'm due for another reread yeah. of Setting the Table it would be, you know, such a great book. Yeah, and to it's see. one that's timeless. And I think mm-hmm. every time I read it and have read it, um, it allows you to look at situations in your current world and how you can apply some of those. So um, it's a brilliant book and um, everything that's uh, laid out there is something that uh, Danny and the team walk every day. They walk the talk. And I think that was one of the great takeaways of, um, of being there. It's not just what we say we want to do, but it's actually what we do. Right. And I've always been such a huge mm-hmm. fan. So, and, mm-hmm. and absolutely everything you say, mm-hmm. I second. So I think uh, let's take a little break and then come back and talk about what you're doing now. You Sounds good. Exciting things happening. So this is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. We'll be right back. what it takes to swim a coastline longer than the entire eastern seaboard and leap tall waterfalls in a single bound? What does it take to survive 200 feet deep in icy saltwater? What would you be made of? Wild Alaska seafood is made of tight muscle mass, long chain omega-3s, and incredible micronutrients. It matters where your food comes from. Experience the flavor of the fittest in every bite and enjoy food the way nature intended. Alaska seafood, wild, natural, and sustainable. Ask for Alaska on the menu, grocery store, or smart device. For more information, visit wildalaskaseafood.com. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Sabato Segaria. He is the president of Bartaco. So let's talk about Bartaco. Let's talk about it. So you 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 started there uh, about, what, a year ago? Uh, about six, seven months ago. Okay. Yeah. 
And, I mean, I have here. It's an upscale street food concept with a coastal vibe in multiple locations. That pretty much sums it up. Okay, yeah. so where... So, so, but the food, I mean, for people who don't know, yeah. it's... It's tacos, but it's more than tacos. It's tacos with an asterisk. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's basically coastal cuisine. And I, I think if um, if you're on the beach and you're having a, a margarita and your toes are in the sand, what do you want to eat? It's that type of food. Um, it's not bound by uh, culture or a specific cuisine. Um, and the tortilla is really just the canvas. And so it's taking those global street foods, um, whether it's from South America, Mexico, and Southeast Asia, um, and putting them on a tortilla and in a great setting. And I remember the first time I walked into Bar Taco, um, I saw the bartender juicing all the cocktails by hand. And um, there's a, the garage doors were up and you could see the water. Um, and I was like, wow, I just got transported. And when I was talking earlier about resorts and how I feel like it was very restorative, um, I think Bar Taco can provide that to people in their day-to-day um, without having to go on vacation, but even for an hour, um, hour and a half to be able to connect with those around them and leave the world behind and um, be transported through a delicious cocktail and a, a great bite or two. Um, that's pretty great to be able to reach a broad audience and do that. Yeah, so I'm assuming everything you just said is the reasons why you you joined the company and you you made that move. It's it's different yeah. than you know what you were doing before. It's it definitely is, um, but it's also hospitality mm-hmm. and it's um, making people feel at home and providing great experiences where they can connect. And um, you know, I joined the company because I was looking for um, what was next. And again, didn't really know what that was, but I knew. Um, that I wanted to continue to build on all the great experience I had before. And I'd never, you know, at Union Square Hospitality Group, we had 17 restaurants, all different concepts. And um, that was really fun and dynamic um, and engaging. Um, and when I said, what do I want to do next? I said, well, I would love to scale something. And so now I have 17 restaurants, one concept. And so being able to uh, continue to fine tune and build on it and grow talent through that um, is a really exciting opportunity. And to do so in not just one market, you know, I was in New York and I could get to any of my restaurants within 30 minutes. Um, but now to be in 10 different states, um, that's a learning experience for me. Um, but it's also really exciting to see what's going on out there in the U.S. in these different cities um, in terms of food and culture. And um, when you see that, uh, it's almost like saying, wow, well, I. I didn't realize how much of a bubble New York was to a little, to some extent. And we're totally in a bubble. I know I'm in a bubble. <laughs> it's a great bubble, um, <laughs> but it is fun to head out and, and see the world in some sense. And uh, it, that's been one of the, the great learning experiences and how to grow a team and how to build culture across time zones and state lines. All right. So I know you have one in New York up in Port Chester. Chester. Mm-hmm. Are there plans for more New York locations? Um, right now, um, Port Chester is the only one that we have in New York. Um, and I don't think there's any on the horizon right now in New York. I think it's a, a very challenging time for restaurants in New York City. And so uh, we'll sort of let things work their way out. And then uh, I won't say never, but right. um, it's not going to be uh, in the next couple yeah. of weeks or months. Yeah. Okay. So mm-hmm. we're, I know before the show, we're talking, you're down in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Where? What other markets are you in? What What areas sure. of the country? So uh, mostly on the East Coast. Um, we're in Florida, in Tampa and Orlando. There's um, Nashville, Tennessee, which is a great food city. I definitely recommend um, 
putting that on your list if you haven't been. Um, I've been once. I'd like to go back, though. It's it, You're due. Um, yeah, I am due. Uh, Boulder, Colorado. So that was great to be able to uh, have another excuse to get back to the mountains. Um, and we just opened on Monday in Fort Worth, Texas. So, um, That's exciting. It is. It is. Um, so, yeah, 17 restaurants right now uh, in 10 different states. So how, how often are you on the road? Um, I'm on the road quite a bit. I'd probably say every other week or so. Um, and I'm, the great thing is I get to travel, see these cities, um, check in with our restaurants. And, um, and that's really important to me to get to see how we're doing, um, get to meet our guests and also meet our team and see them in action in, in their, um, in their environment. And then also be able to come back to New York and, um, get the best of New York. Um, not necessarily the, the daily grind of it, but mm-hmm. being able to, um, almost, uh, feel like a, a tourist, but right at home in, in, in that sense. Yeah, I yeah. think it's great. Mm-hmm. So I've never been to Bar Taco. I need to go. Yes, you do. But when I go, yes. what's my order? I mean, what what's do you... What's your order? Yeah, first um, time. First time. Well, I think as soon as you come in, you're going to have to get a margarita because we don't want you to get scurvy and, you know, get the lime juice and, right. um, uh, and just kind of settle in. Um, then I'd say uh, we have a delicious tuna poke on there. Um, some of my favorite tacos are the, uh, we have a crispy rock shrimp, there's a glazed pork belly, and then um, we always have a secret taco. And that's something that changes every uh, month, month and a half. And right now we have a roasted maitake mushroom with sweet corn and asparagus. So it's a, a nice seasonal uh, interpretation there. So I think that's a good start. And then we'll send some other things out for you. <laughs> it's good to know people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it sounds, yeah, everything about mm-hmm. it sounds great. And, and actually, I'll ask you my, my question from my last guest, because mm-hmm. she said, she, uh, her words on the show was, Bartaco is fantastic. Love it. So that was Jody Eddy. She was on episode 177. Yeah. And she's a cookbook author, journalist, conference, and culinary mm-hmm. tour organizers. She wears a lot of hats. Yes, she does. She has an amazing, her book, Cuba, inspired me to want to go book a ticket to Cuba. Yeah. Yeah, no, yet. I have. Yeah, she's Cuba. Well, Iceland. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's yeah. And that she's book North is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's she's awesome. Mm-hmm. So her question is: What recipe from your childhood brings you the most powerful memories? Okay, um, so my dad's family is Italian. So um, grew up on the holidays with my aunts cooking in the kitchen um, all day long, and I remember that make, them making sauce. And so I'll take a rendition of that, but then also one of my first memories of cooking. Um, I remember I invited a, uh, a, a girl over to my house to cook for her for dinner when I was in high school. And this girl that I was starting to date. And uh, I banished my parents upstairs so they couldn't come down and bother us. Um, and I cooked uh, meatballs from scratch and I had the pasta and the sauce and um, it was, uh, I was really proud. It was the first time I'd ever cooked for anyone outside of my family. Um, and then I made cheesecake for dessert and, uh, she was like so impressed. And I remember, uh, her helping clean up and then she saw this box of, um, jello pudding for the cheesecake in the trash can. And she thought that I had phoned in the whole thing. And, <laughs> and uh, but I ended up, you know, showing her that I actually could cook and, um, I got a kiss out of it. So I think that was a very memorable meal, um, <laughs> along the way. So I love it. That's great. So last question before we take a break, yeah. what, what do you, what advice do you have for someone who, who wants to get in the hospitality game and do everything you're doing? I mean, you've, you've had an amazing career and lots of different experiences that 
led you on this path? Yeah, I think, um, first of all, um, make sure it's something you love because uh, we all work hard and we play hard in this industry, but I think it's important to make sure that every day when you get up, you're really excited about what you're doing. And uh, as you go along, keep your eyes open because um, the learnings aren't always right in front of you. Um, sometimes they're all around you. And I think it's very important that um, you're open to that and there's no one direct path. So um, just be aware, uh, open to try new things uh, and ask a lot of questions along the way. Great advice. Yeah. Okay, so let's take another break here and then we're going to come back and we're going to play my speed round game and talk some industry news. This is Only Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Like what you hear? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. With fresh programming every week, we've got something for everyone. Trying to start your own food business? Concerned about where your food comes from? Looking for the best wine or beer to bring to a party? Find our shows on iTunes or Stitcher, or head to heritageradionetwork.org to listen live and subscribe to our newsletter. back. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Sabadou Segaria. It's time for my speed round game. So I'm going to name a couple things and you pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. Both. All right, both. Mm -hmm. Here we go. Eat in or eat out? Both. (laughs) Wine, beer, cocktail, or mocktail? Both. The first two. (laughs) Okay. Um, yeah. Wine or beer? Wine. Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Small plates or large plates? Small plates. Communal table or chef's counter? Chef's counter. You're like doing, you're getting, you're getting into it. I am, Okay. Yeah. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? All-inclusive charge. There you have it. Tacos or Burgers. Tacos. I mean, if I wanted to be specific, I was going to go Shake Shack or, or Taco Gina is a new place I heard opening. It hasn't opened yet. So I know, I look so forward we don't to, know. Look forward to uh, tasting it. they got some good talent there. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Well, because I did check that out. Everyone's doing tacos these days. Everyone's doing tacos. Everyone's doing pizza. Mm-hmm. Pizza. Roman-style pizzas mm-hmm. become a big thing. Mm-hmm. But that's a different topic. Yes. We're in the middle of the game. Sorry. Okay, three more. Documentary question, Psalm or Chef's Table? Uh, I get more pleasure watching Chef's Table than I do Psalm. Okay. (laughs) Fair. (laughs) Cheese plate or dessert? Dessert. Manhattan or Brooklyn? Are you talking about cocktails or are you talking about where to live? You're not the first person to say that on the show. I'm talking, I know, but you can answer it however you want. (laughs) Got it. Uh, I will drink a Manhattan in Manhattan. 
that's yeah. good. Yeah. I like it. I, like that might I, be a first. It's when I go to uh, order an Americano um, at night and I'm trying to order the cocktail and the waiter brings out an Americano as in the coffee drink. I'm like, no, no, no. The other one, please. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess it depends on location. Yeah, it does. But yeah. that's interesting that yes. this happened to you. <laughs> you have to be specific. Yes. <laughs> cool. That was the game. That's a fun game. I'm glad you didn't answer both to everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so industry news. First article I have was on Grub Street. The company behind Krispy Kreme and Panera is buying Pret a Manger. And so this Pret as I don't know, is it Manger? Do I say that right? Pret a I just call Manger? It Pret. I think I Pret? think it's Pret. Yeah. Okay. Pret is being bought by the companies called Jab Holdings. They're a Luxembourg-based company and they've recently purchased uh, a, a lot of coffee companies including Stumptown and Intelligentsia. They have Krispy Kreme, Panera Bread. Um, so, I mean, Pret, Pret's had a good presence in New York for a while. Um, any thoughts on this? I don't know. I think Pret's one that's slid under the radar for a lot of people and they, it's not top of mind but it's all around you and I know every time I've gone into the one on Union Square the team there has been so energized so happy and you see them that's contagious and that's as in any restaurant so um, I think they do a great job for the segment that they're in and um, you know it's interesting when you see that company buying um, these soon-to-be iconic brands if you think of Krispy Krispy Kreme Mm -hmm. think of Intelligentsia Coffee think of Stumptown um, and they're all high quality in, in what they do. And so um, it's interesting uh, to see them sort of snatching up these uh, different concepts. But um, yeah. yeah, it is interesting. I've noticed just in Manhattan, mm-hmm. it seems there's Pretz popping up everywhere. Mm-hmm. There's there's one uh, near where I live on West West uh, Broadway mm-hmm. and 56th Street. Mm-hmm. I was in Midtown East the other day and I passed by one and I walked mm-hmm. a block and I passed by another. Yeah. And I just, they're, ev- they're it's, it's definitely prevalent mm-hmm. in New York. I don't know if they have more expansive mm-hmm. plans. We'll see. Mm-hmm. I think it's mostly an East Coast mm-hmm. brand right now. Um, and, and even in Europe, I mean, you can't go through, I think we were in London, you couldn't like cross the street without tripping over one like they're all over the place well it's a british chain so yeah and they're they're yeah Mm -hmm. they're i don't i didn't i was looking to see the numbers it said there are under a hundred outlets in the u.s but i don't know i don't know like worldwide Mm -hmm. how many there are but Mm -hmm. anyways uh, they i don't know big Mm -hmm. company buying another what i think is a kind of big company i would say when they um from what I've seen from afar, they've respected each of the concepts and allowed them to continue on as their own, mm-hmm. which I think is always a good sign. Um, and hopefully that helps the teams there. And I, I heard they gave their teams a raise uh, through that um, yes. acquisition. So um, hopefully they're doing good things and will continue to do good things. Yeah. No, I agree. So uh, we'll see what happens with mm-hmm. that. Second article I had on Deadline Hollywood. So this came out last week. Good Morning America expands to three hours and The Chew is canceled by ABC after seven seasons. So this is talking about The Chew, a television show that uh, Carla Hall, Clinton Kelly, and Michael Simon and Mari Batelli was the host. Um, he was fired back in December with the, the amid the sexual misconduct allegations. So 
they were doing the other three hosts were doing the show without him. Um, I don't know. They've had a really good run, and they've won two Emmy awards and multiple Emmy nominations. So, um, you know, it's 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 sad to see something something that's been successful mm-hmm. go. But um, you know, I guess I saw Carla Hall uh, on her Instagram said something like "onwards and upwards." Yeah. I mean, seven years is a great run for, uh, especially mm-hmm. for a TV show. And if you look at where we were in food seven years ago to be where we are now, um, and I think it's it's pretty pretty amazing the inroads. And I, I have no doubt they're going to continue to do great things on their own paths. Um, I've never watched the Chew. Um, my day job gets in the way, but uh, but I you know um, yeah. So I can't really comment too much more beyond that. Well. I don't know if it was exactly you were the target audience. I have watched it. Okay. I have watched it. And it was, you know, it was a lot of cooking segments. Uh, it was kind of fun. They had a, uh, I guess you'd say it's a chef's counter, mm-hmm. a yeah. TV yeah. counter up front mm-hmm. where where they would interact with the guests mm-hmm. and have them, They when they cooked the food, they mm-hmm. actually had the, yeah. the the people in the audience get to eat yeah. it. And so, and, and all these guys have such charisma, mm-hmm. Carla and, and Michael. And mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're, you know, they brought a lot of life to yeah. the show. Um, I'm, I know they'll, you know, they're already mm-hmm. doing, they do so many things. So yeah. I'm not, I'm not worried yeah. at all about them, but you're right. It had a really, really good run. And it's also interesting to see how, how, you know, with the, the morning talk show, mm-hmm. so good morning America is, is they're, they're doing another hour, but it's actually in the afternoon. So I want, is it going to be called good morning? Good afternoon. Good America. afternoon, America. Yeah. <laughs> never know. Well, but also think about, um, you know, nowadays it's like, oh yeah, there's a uh, cooking show that's on mainstream TV. Well, it was back in the '90s when Food Network for, first came out, and so before then, it was just these little shows on PBS. And I remember my aunts up in up in Corning, New York, you know, knowing who Emeril was and knowing who Bobby Flay was, and um, and it introduced them to ingredients that you probably can't even get up in Corning, New York, or you couldn't at that time. And so in terms of the education it brought to viewers out there, um, those are the same viewers that are now dining in our restaurants or um, buying, uh, buying cookbooks and cooking more at home. So um, I think it's great to have seen a show like The Chew be able to you know, hold its own for seven years and do such great things and reach a broad audience. You know, that only helps us in the industry to um, have uh, even more knowledgeable guests or guests that are even or more willing to experiment and try things that are new. Yeah, I agree with all that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, I think people's knowledge about food and is so, is so high yeah. nowadays. Like everyone, everyone knows something now. <laughs> we take that for granted, but yeah. th- it wasn't yeah. always like that. Um, no. I mean, I remember when kale wasn't a household name right. and I remember my sister brought some home from a CSA and was like, what do we do with this? And so we had so much, we were cooking kale for a week, but now, you know, kale's all over the place. It's no longer yes. a four letter word. No, people name their kids Kale, <laughs> from what I've been told. Okay, let's take one more break and come back. We're going to do my solo dining experience, and then we'll have the final question. This is on the industry on Heritage Radio Network.
Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience. This week, it's at Raza Pizza Artigian, Artigianale, otherwise known as Raza's. Here's the rundown. The location, 275 Grove Street, Jersey City, New Jersey. The concept, intimate pizzeria featuring artisan wood-fired pies whose goal is to serve the best pizza. The chef and owner, Dan Richer. Why did I go? Because I heard amazing things about this place from their pizza to the whole menu. My experience. So Friday this last week, I took a late afternoon path train to New Jersey and I uh, arrived at the restaurant early. I got there at 510. They open at 530. And it was a smart move because I was second in line. So when they opened their doors, I got a seat. They have some counter seats. And so I took one. I, I overordered and uh, I left with some leftovers and I had a really great time. Staff was very nice. What did I get? So as I said, I overordered. I had the bread and butter because I heard you had to get it. I had the polpette al forno, which is roasted meatballs. And I added on ricotta. And I had a margarita pizza with tomato sauce, handmade, fresh mozzarella, basil, sea salt, and California extra virgin olive oil. My take was damn good. Bread and butter was super fresh. Make everything in-house. Loved the meatballs. They were divine. And I liked that the ricotta with it went really well. And the pizza was terrific. It had the, you know, the crust. It had a really good bite. It was a great crust, great ingredients. You know, I'd, going with a margarita, you can really kind of test test the waters of their pizza, and I, I thought it was awesome. So the ambiance. It's a casual dark wood space. It has two levels. There's the bar and some tables up front, and then up about five steps is the back dining room where the pizza ovens are. And they also had alfresco dining set up for some... It was a beautiful day on Friday here in New Jersey. So the I'd say it's perfect for pizza and Italian cravings. Interesting tidbit. So Pete Wells from the New York Times reviewed Raza back in September. He gave it three stars, which is amazing. And the title of his piece was, Is New York's Best Pizza in New Jersey? And he was there with Ed Levine, the founder of Serious Eats, who's written a book called Pizza, A Slice of Heaven. They both seem to agree that, yes, the best pizza in New York is in New Jersey. Another interesting tidbit, I saw that Liza DeGia of Food Curator, Food Curated, she was my guest on episode 31, she did a, did a beautiful video on Raza's Bread and Butter, which was on the New York Times back in 2014. So she was way ahead of the curve. And Raza actually means pure bread. Personal fun fact. So afterwards, I walked over to the waterfront at Exchange Place, and I sat out there for a long time watching the view, and I actually started to eat my leftovers. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, quite, it's quite lovely, uh, that Manhattan skyline. The cost of my meal was $36. That's not including tax and gratuity. Would I go back? Yes, I would. Their website's rasanj.com. Have you been? I have. I see you nodding your head. As you were ordering, I was like, good order, good order, good order. Oh, good, good, good. And I was, I had heard great things about it. And uh, fortunately, I went before it was reviewed, so I didn't have to wait as long. But um, it's really easy to get to. Really easy. uh, The pizza's delicious. And uh, even the salads uh, and vegetables, I remember, um, were, were really great. So they're doing good stuff over there. And Dan, I've gotten a chance to 
to get to know Dan and um, really proud of, of him and what he was able to accomplish over there. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it was, I, when I found this video that Liza mm-hmm. did with him and yeah, it's 2014. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously you've been doing amazing things yeah. for a while, yeah. uh, but the New York Times review, I mean, three stars yeah. for pizza place, yeah. you exactly. know, yeah. it's huge. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, if anyone wants to go, it's a smart move. Just get there like 515. Mm-hmm. You'll be fine. You'll get in right away. <laughs> Okay, so it's time for the final question. So next week, my guest is Mitchell Davis. He's the executive vice president of the James Beard Foundation. Sabato, what would you like to ask Mitchell? Mitchell's got a big job. I think they did an awesome job at the Beard Awards this year. Yeah, Um, me too. And uh, I think with so much changing in our industry, if Mitchell was to look in his crystal ball and say five years from now, what new category would he add? Add in... James Beard. James Beard, okay. Foundation Awards. Okay. You know, maybe there's something out there. You know, I'm I'm thinking they should... I'm going to answer the question. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) We can practice here. I'm thinking they should add the publicist category. How about that? I think... um, I don't think it would ever happen. Do you need a publicist for that? I can help you. You could be my publicist for the, the... Best restaurant yeah. publicist category? Yeah. I is don't it, think that would ever really happen, but it would, who knows? Who knows? I mean, <laughs> and I don't know, you know, what it could be. You know, is it, uh, you know, so many great chefs getting into counter service um, restaurants or quick service restaurants? Could it be something like that? Or I don't know. So. Well, I'll, I'll it's a great question. Yeah. And I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll plug a client of mine, Jim Leahy, Sullivan mm-hmm. Street Bakery, was mm-hmm. the first recipient of the Best Baker Award, mm-hmm. which only, I think it was three years ago mm-hmm. they started that. Yeah. And, you, and then you start to think, like, how is that, how, only three years they've yeah. been doing that? But, yeah, they do introduce new categories mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. So we'll see. Okay. I can't wait to tune in and hear the answer. <laughs> well, Mitchell, I'm sure, has a great answer. He always and, does. He and, always he, does. and he does many things, too. I mean, he's... Beyond, we'll hear all, yeah. all about it, but yeah, he's been with James Beard Foundation mm-hmm. a long time and mm-hmm. a big role there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, awesome. That is the show. Well, it was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming. I'm, you know, I'm so glad I, I met you a few years ago mm-hmm. and and watched. You know, I mean, we've gotten to know each other mm-hmm. through going to events, and and now I have to get to Bar Taco and. <laughs> And it's no, it's it's yeah. really, and it was great to hear more about your background mm-hmm. and your career. It's mm-hmm. it's quite impressive, and I, I look forward to seeing what what you do next on your on your path through through the industry. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And uh, I always know when I'm at the right place when I see you at a, one of those little festivities. Ah, so nice. That's that's makes me feel mm-hmm. special. Good. <laughs> no, really, it does. So thank you. My guest today has been Sabado Segaria. He's the president of Bartaco. And their website is bartaco.com. That's B-A-R taco. And they are part of Barteca Restaurant Group, which I didn't really get into, but the Bartaco Barteca, mm-hmm. you know. We have another concept called Barcelona Wine Bar, okay. which is a Spanish tapas restaurant with a great wine program. And there's about, uh, about 14, 15 of those. Great. Mm-hmm. Glad we got that in. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, you can follow Sabado. He's at Sabado and then number three is his uh, social media handle and Bartaco Life. Mm-hmm. 
You can follow me at Sherry Bayer at Bayer PR at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. My website's BayerPublicRelations.com and SherryBayer.com. All of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org on iTunes and Stitcher and Spotify. So you can find us anywhere, anytime. Thanks again to my guest today, Sabado, and always to my engineer, Vitor. I'm Sherry Bayer. I'll be back next week with another live show. I hope you'll tune in then, and thank you for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.